This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Nick, I need to make more friends. I need to be better at having, at being social in a party. I've literally gotten depressed at points in my life because I am just not good at parties and I run out of steam very fast and it's not the way I typically make friends. But you're the expert. You wrote the two-hour cocktail party. It's a great book, how to build big relationships with small gatherings. What got you started making parties? I hate parties. I mean, I would go to stuff in New York City, these big so-called networking events. And I moved to New York wanting to meet people and make friends. And I go to these big events at these loud nightclubs where it's dark and it's a bunch of slimy people. And I would leave feeling like a loser, like it was all my fault. And yeah, I said, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I think that's a common experience for a lot of people. And I realized that it wasn't that I was a loser. It's just that I was going to loser events. And instead of going to bad events, I'd learn how to host my own good events. And so what did you start doing? And New York City is hard because you have like, you know, everybody's got a small apartment and stuff. Like what, what did you start doing? I had a small apartment too. I started to host parties at my home, which that's part of my formula. But I'd invite people over a mix of my neighbors and people I already knew and then new people that I met. And I think, I mean, that's interesting that like you probably go through life meeting a bunch of interesting people maybe who want to have dinner with you or they want to like pick your brain. And the reality is we're all too busy to make those happen. But I realized that everybody wants to be invited to a party and everybody wants to know someone who connects people. And so, yeah, so that led me down a series. I've probably hosted 900 happy hours now. And I experimented with different models and formulas to make it work, to make it not awkward, friendly for introverts, and just a space where people can meet new people. So, okay, let's say I'm listening to this. Maybe I've moved to a new town. Maybe I want to make friends. What's, what are the first, there's good parties and there's bad parties. And after you've done 900, I'm sure you're, you're an expert and you wrote the book, the two hour cocktail party. So what's, What's an example? Like, where do I start? Where do I start? What do I do? So you got to start with something that I call your core group. And your core group, this is where most people make a mistake in hosting. And by the way, the average new first-time host, their number one fear, James, what do you think their number one fear is and why they would never host a party? Uh, That no one would come or only the uninteresting people would come. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. I'm pumping my fist in the air that no one would come, or worse, that only like three people would come, and it's terribly awkward, right? Yeah. And so, so much of my work is guaranteeing that that will never happen to people. And then the first way to do that is to start your planning with what I call a core group. So if you just moved to a new town, if you're brand new, in order to host, you really do need to have about five friends or five people you know doesn't have to be best friends. They don't have to be friends even. But five people need to say yes to your date and time. And that's the first step is that you have to get five yeses from people to soft launch your party. And should a core group be diversified? Like, you know, some men, some women? Sure. For a first-time host. Or is that not important? Yes. For advanced attendees like you and I, yes. 
diversity in age, profession, background, those are all great things. For a new host, I just want them to fill the room. And when I say fill the room, I found that a good party, a good happy hour is between 16 and 22 people. That's enough people for someone like you who like maybe has a little ADD that that likes to talk to a lot of different people. Maybe when you walk into a room of 10, you might be bored. There's not enough energy within that space. Above 22, it's too hectic. It's too frenetic. The host can't make introductions. There's no curation. Why 22? That's like a very specific number. Like, is there, it almost sounds like there's a scientific study on this. Or did you just, is that just like a really like an experience number? So part of my party formula is that, yes, it is an experience number. And part of my party formula, which is the Nick formula, N-I-C-K, the I stands for icebreakers or introductions. And we do two or three rounds of those introductions of the room. And with 25 people, those intros take way too long. 22 Ah. is about the upper maximum because a good icebreaker, a good intro is a fast one. Nobody likes these boring ones that go on forever. And so I want it to be able to run fast. So, so, okay, I'm going to write this down because my house every year, and this is the third year, I guess, we host the neighborhood's Christmas party. And it's the only time per year I see all these people. And it'll be, it'll be fun, but I dread it a little bit because I'm an extreme introvert. And uh, so, so you're suggesting everybody should do at some point, like after enough people arrive, I should say, okay, everybody introduce yourself. But what's an interesting way? Like you have a whole great, great chapter on icebreakers. What's like a fun way I should get them to introduce themselves? So let me say this first. Yes, you should do this, but you need to tell them in advance because as an introvert, and tell me if this resonates with you, but I find that what the introverts don't like is surprises at social events. They don't like to be put on the spot and they don't like that idea. So I found Ah. that two of the key things at my party are name tags and the round of introductions. And I have to tell people in advance that I will be doing those. And then I tell people the why. Because if they understand the why, for example, at your thing in the neighborhood, what I would say is I'd be like, look, I see all of you guys all the time when we're walking the neighborhood, but I'm also bad with names. And I may know the name of your dog, what you do, your kids, everything, but I'm just bad with names, I forget. And we also have some new people here who've joined the neighborhood and we want them to feel welcome. Because of that, we're gonna ask everybody to do a name tag with your first name. Since so I've, you know, this is happening in two days and the invitations were like weeks ago. So it's like, I didn't pre-announce this. So given that I didn't pre-announce this, what can I do? You can send an email today to let them know that okay. you've been thinking about it. You talk to some new neighbors and heads up everybody. There's going to be name tags and one quick round of intros so that all the neighbors can meet each other. Great. So I would Got send it. them that now today. Because once you tell them that and you tell them the why, then people understand, right? And that's another thing. Oh, it's going to be weird if I have name tags. It'll feel too corporate. I don't want to do intros. But they really do help. After, I think I've hosted, I've helped 415 people now, verified, host their own first party. They've never hosted a party before. And with my book, they hosted their first party. And I hear that all the time. What do people say? 
oh my God, why would I stop the party when everything's going well? How awkward is that to stop the party and do these intros? That, that sounds terrifying, but the room just explodes with energy and new conversation afterwards when you make those intros. Okay, good. Uh, uh, I got it. So what's, what's next? How many people are coming to your thing in the neighborhood? Do you know? Probably about 40. 40 people? Yeah. So for your people, what would be interesting for you to ask them? Would you prefer to know how they, what they do for work or what they like to do for fun? I'm going to ask you, and then I'll help craft the icebreaker. I think what they would like to do for fun. Great. So I would set it up for everybody and say, hey, everybody, we're going to do a quick round of intros. There's 40 people here. It's going to take way too long if we do this long. So I'm just going to ask you to say your name and what you like to do for fun in 10 words or less. Then you tell them the why. Say the purpose, the reason we're going to do it is we all live here in the neighborhood and you never know who wants to learn to play tennis, who wants to join a pickleball team, who wants to go running. And so let's try this out. Say your name and what you like to do for fun in 10 minutes or less. By the way, if you don't like to do anything for fun, say something you maybe would like to do for fun. For example, you want to learn how to play tennis? Mention that and maybe you'll meet somebody. So I would do that. But here's the important thing for you, James. You have to lead it. You need to be looking around the room, pointing at people and saying, okay, next we're going to go to John, right? And hopefully they'll have the name tags. Don't let them start to ask follow-up questions. If somebody talks too long, you need to cut them off. And one little trick that you might do is have your wife go after you, get her to talk too long, and then you cut her off so uh, that yeah. other people see. That is a brilliant idea. And I yes. would love cutting her off. <laughs> yes, good, good, good. So, okay, what's, what, what's next? Well, next we mentioned, how do you end your party on time? Because for yeah. a lot of people, that's the reason they don't host is they don't like to end it on time. They feel awkward about that. Do you want to talk about your thoughts? I'll give some ideas, but like you want to talk where you are there? Yeah, so, and this is a discussion I, I have with my wife. I like to keep it, I, I run out of steam after two hours. That's like my limit. And, um, but it's the annual party. And so my wife's point, which is a good point, is that she doesn't really get to update with many of these people except once a year, this thing. So if things go longer, she thinks it should allow for its natural course, which also makes sense. So I don't know where I stand on this. Here's my thoughts on that. And your party, it's Friday today as we record this. Will your party be on Sunday? Yeah. What time is it scheduled for? 7.30 to 9.30. 7.30 to 9.30. So already so, so like I told her, I told her 9.30, I'm going to tell people, get out. And she yes. said, no, 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 don't do that. That'll be bad. Well, here's what we can do. At 9.30 or at 9.15, you could make a little last call announcement to let people know that at 9.30, you're going to start to wind down and thank them. You don't have to do a hard out, shut out the lights, lock the doors at 9.30. Which was my plan. What, right, right. But what you want to do is to give those who are ready to go home, give them an easy excuse to leave. Because have you ever been at a party and you want to leave? You're done after an hour and a half. Yeah. But you feel bad being the first one to leave. You're like, oh, you know, 
that I don't want the host to see me leaving. They'll think I hate this. I feel a little bit bad. That's a really good what point. You, what you want to do is give them an easy excuse to leave. And so what I would do, because, you know, it's a Sunday night, your wife really does want to see, but I would make a last call and at 9.15 and say, hey, everybody, thank you so much for coming. In 15 minutes, you know, the party's scheduled to end. Say hello to somebody new, exchange contact info or grab a last drink, and then we'll start to wrap up soon. And then realistically, you never need to have that wrap up time to leave speech there's a good chance that that notice from you will give people the permission and the release for introverts that it's okay to leave now. And that's what we want, is we just want people to feel comfortable. And sometimes we do end the party right at 9.30 because you want to end on a high note, but this is a special situation. It's your once a year holiday party, so yeah. We talked about the intros and the end. What happens in the middle? How do I make this a good party? Yes. So how do you make it a good party? Well, and by good, I mean good for me. Oh, oh, oh. Well, let me ask, what is good for you? What does success look like? Uh, that I talk to interesting people, but I kind of go from person to person. Uh, and, and, you know, right at the time when it's supposed to end, I feel fully satisfied. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. Do you have a problem ending conversations? Yeah. Many people do. Uh, and in fact, it's easy for them to start a conversation sometimes, but it's very hard to end them. And are you and your wife, James, specifically the hosts, or is this yes. hosted by the neighborhood? It's your... Yes, or the hosts. Yes. The way that you can end conversations is simply to note your host's duties and say to people, say, say something like, um, I'll be right back. I'm going to go do host duties. That Got it. Love it. That phrase of, look, you're welcoming people, you're cleaning, you're tidying, you're doing that. By the way, during my own parties, James, I will sneak away and go to my bedroom and scroll social media. That's what no I do too. Yeah. No problem at all. For me, it helps me recharge my batteries and take a little breather. I mean, we had I had a great party uh, right before COVID. It was like 2019, and I was introducing my friends from a very diverse group of people, like podcast guests, stand-up comedians, the former world chess champion, other people. And but I was introducing them all. The purpose of the party was to introduce them to Eric Adams, who was then running for mayor of New York City, and he eventually won uh, as mayor of New York City. So it was a great party. There was like 50, 60 people there. And, but I still, even at that party, that was such a high energy party where I had to make introductions and give a speech and all these things. Every 15, 20 minutes, I had to go to my room and just like shut the door for a while. Sometimes what you need, and we're getting off tangent because most of my work is for very beginner hosts. But sometimes what you need at, at, at your own big events like that is like a consigliere or a shadow who will be with you and every two minutes will tap to help you keep moving. So I do this for some of my famous friends after they speak a keynote speech and I'll set timers when they have a line of people lined up to talk to them. 
and, and I'll set a timer. So once every 60 seconds, I tap them, I say, hey, I'm so sorry, we got to move the line. And they'll have a code word to me that if they want to continue the conversation, then they'll say something like, oh, this is my good friend. Yeah. Well, I've done, I've done this at, a, at public events. So like where, where I've been the keynote speaker and everyone lines up, I have somebody who is like that, who, who has done that for me in the past. Yeah. Maybe not as helpful at a party event. So what happens at the party? Think about my name, which is Nick, N-I-C-K. That's the general overview. And each of them stand for certain things. N stands for name tags. You're going to use name tags at your event, first name only. And I think that you and your wife should write the name tags at the party because it gives you a chance to have a touch point with everyone who arrives. Love that. So we, so you don't just have a table with all the name tags out. No. Um, okay, good. I will say to people, when I give them the name tag, I'll say something kind and sincere, like, thank you so much, James, for coming tonight. Like, I'm going to be so crazy busy running around, but I just want to say thank you for coming and you're welcome here in my home. Um, the bar's over there. Um, please help yourself to some snacks and I'll see you in a few minutes. Okay, I great. use that as my chance to have a touch point which eat, with each and every single person. The name tags, by the way, also serve as a unifying, almost uniform, that this isn't a party of cliques, right? So when right. you host a party, maybe all your chess friends stay together and talk together. And then the podcasters talk to the podcasters. That can be intimidating for new people and introverts to join a room like that. And the name tags help to make it even. Okay, good. That's N. The I stands for icebreakers or introductions. I lead about, you know, two or three of these at an event. With a larger party like you're doing Sunday, you're going to have to lead them fast. Do not let people sit down for these. Now, this but you know is what was good about your icebreakers? Because I read that chapter and, and, and it was very interesting. Is that they're good for just conversation too. Like if I just walk up to someone and say, hey, what do you do on a Tuesday afternoon at 3 p.m.? Yes. They're good for just like conversation starters anyway. Yes. Yeah, I think that they are as well. And so there's a concept that I have of easy icebreakers or value additive icebreakers. An easy icebreaker is what I use at the beginning of an event when it's awkward and there's no rapport that's built up. So an example of an easy icebreaker would be, Hey, everybody, say your name, say what you do for work, and just say one of your favorite things that you like to eat for breakfast. Now, that's a stupid icebreaker, but it works. I'll tell you why it works. It doesn't cause introverts to lock up because breakfast, it's easy, it's pleasurable. It expresses a little bit about our personality. We're not going to be judged for the answer. A bad example of a beginning start of an icebreaker would be, say your name, say what you do for work, and tell me your favorite book or tell me your favorite movie. That's very hard for people to think of on the spot, and many people it will cause them to lock up. So at the you know, beginning- you're, you're right, like you would think that is a good, like, like if you asked me what my favorite movie was, I wouldn't be able to tell you. If, 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 if you've seen a thousand movies, what's your favorite? You have to suddenly start going through all thousand, and you know, probably 300 of them were good enough to say it was good, but then I have to really think. These things that I'm talking, they're not rocket science, but when I say them, it makes sense, right? Yeah. yeah. How would I think about my... Now, the reason that it's so hard is that it's definitive and it's subjective. 
What is your absolute favorite? And now there's going to be judgment. Well, what do I say? What if I really like that? What will people think of me? Versus, yeah, you like, know. Yeah, like I was in an event two days ago and someone asked me, and it was like part of a panel, and someone asked me um, who has been the best podcast guest I've had. And I've had 1,500 podcast guests. There's Other than Nick Gray, of course, uh, I was not able to, to answer the question. Yes, it's too hard and it's definitive. And by the way, a way to modify a question like that to make it a little bit easier would be, what are some of your favorite movies? Uh, what is one of your favorite books? Who was one of your favorite podcast guests? That takes it from definitive and exact to zoom out to just be one of, and it makes like it that. a little easier. Yeah. What are some other, there was a lot of good icebreakers in the book. What, what, what are some of the ones that you think are, since I probably won't be able to do the group icebreaker because there might be too many people. Sure. Like what are some good, just like conversation icebreakers? So I'd like to challenge you. I would like you to do one round with the whole group. Okay. At some point, what I would suggest is you do that at about 8.15 or okay. 8.20. And very briefly, I want you to run the room and just say, hey, we're trying to build an amazing neighborhood community. To that extent, we want you to be able to know who's in the room and just put a name to a face. So very quickly, go around and say your name and something that you like to do for fun or that you want to do, okay? And then you, James, need to lead it. You have to lead it with an iron fist. Have your wife go next, cut her off, say, nope, we don't have time. Keep going, keep going. But and, and, and this is the thing that I have to send an email today to tell people I'm going to do. I, yes. feel like they, I feel like an email is threatening. Like, you better come here prepared. Like, I'm giving them um, homework. Um, I think the purpose of the email is just to get them excited to come to the party. And so you might send it and say, two days away, right? Or like, see you Sunday night as the subject line. Message body could say like, see you Sunday night. List the time, the date, the address. And then I would say, heads up, we'll have name tags so that we can help welcome some new members to the community. And at around 8.15, we're going to do a quick round of intros where you can say your name and something you like to do for fun. The purpose okay. of this is to help us build a better neighborhood community. And James is bad with names, so we have name tags or something like that, right? And you don't think people are going to be like, they're going to think that that's like, Oh God, I gotta like now think of something fun to do to say to these people. Um, I think that when you tell them the why, that you say, look, we all chose to live here in this neighborhood. We know that having friends and meeting our neighbors helps us live longer, healthier, happier lives. You can even acknowledge, say, look, this may seem cheesy or silly, but I promise you this will help you meet at least one or two more people. And you never know when you run out of sugar, salt, or butter and need to go knock on someone's door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So something like that. I mean, when you just lean into the why, people get it and they understand. I'll give you an example. About three months ago, someone invited me up to Dallas, Texas to help run these icebreakers at this men's group. And it was a bunch of, you know, Bubba, Texas cowboys. And when I made the sound and, and announced we were gonna do an icebreaker, everybody crossed their arms and they looked at me like I was this, you know, New York Yankee, out of place, you know. And 
so I had to step back and say, hey guys, here's the reason why we're gonna do this. Studies show that 19% of American men don't have a single close friend. My guess is that you come to this meetup and you know your core group of three or four guys, but you probably don't know the stories of the other people here in the room. You're all here for a reason, for a purpose. Let's take a quick 10 minutes and just go around the circle and maybe it'll give you an excuse to go say hi to somebody new. And so we did that. And once I explained the why to them, their arms came down, they bought into the idea and people can get into it once they understand the why. So that's my advice. What do you think about that? Do you think it'll I, work? I, 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 I like that idea. Okay, I, I now feel like I can manage this. Yes, yes, yes. And by the way, these feelings that you have of not wanting to do it are totally normal. And it's what I'm fighting against, which is to say, good parties have a little bit of structure. Because once we know the rules, then we can play the game. And the game here is defined as just meeting, mixing, mingling, hopefully getting a chance to talk to someone new and interesting. Okay. So that's the gist. All right. So Nick, N-I-C-K. The N stands for name tags. The I stands for icebreakers and introductions. You'll lead two and a half of those that my book says, but at your party, you're only going to do one. The C for me, C stands for cocktails or mocktails only, no dinner. So yes, right. you can have snacks, you can have appetizers, but don't feel like you have to serve people dinner to invite them over to your home. And you and your wife know this because you're not doing dinner, you're doing a larger event, which is great. But, but many we do people- tend to make the equivalent of dinners and not just snacks. Like I have to like get her to tone down on that. Uh, like again, sit down dinner, um, very against, but there's going to be enough food that people will, will feel full if they want to feel full at the yeah. end. Sure, sure, sure. And it's a holiday party. This is a special situation for you. And I understand that feeling of wanting to feed people, which is valid. I also want to encourage people to know that you don't have to feed people. Your friends are adults. I would rather someone leave my party hungry rather than bored. Yeah, okay? good point. So I spend all my time curating the guest list, making introductions, and very little time thinking about the food and the drinks. My okay. book is called The Two-Hour Cocktail Party. I don't drink alcohol. There's not a single drink recipe in the book. But that phrase, cocktail party, is a lightweight social event. Right, got it. So I like that. Okay, and, and that's pretty much covered. So and yeah. then what's the, what's the uh, K? The K stands for kick them out at the end. The party is only two hours long. Basically what I found is that if you host a party with no end time, people do this weird calculus of deciding when to arrive. Well, I don't want to arrive right on time. You know, the host is from Central America, so they're going to be running late. Well, it's at this time and traffic, so I'll show up 45 minutes late. When you don't set an end time for your party, it extends what I call the awkward zone. And the awkward zone, by the way, happens at any event. It's the first 10 to 30 minutes. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. that awkward? Yeah. Yeah. How it's do like, you well, usually... There's only like three or four people there. Yes. The music's not quite on yet. Yes, <laughs> and, yes. And everybody spends too much time talking to those first three or four people. Yeah, and there's not enough momentum in the room to break into small groups, to bop around. You feel locked in and trapped. 
This happens at every event. By the way, my book has some suggestions on how to avoid the awkward zone. Things that you could do on Sunday for your party, James. Number one would be to think about whether you and your wife want to delegate duties to anyone who arrives early. Uh, I love that suggestion in your book. So like you assign people like, hey, can you be the bartender for the for next few people that arrive and, and so on? Yes, 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 yes. You can say, hey, would you help with the coat check for the first 10 people? Um, would you help with the drinks for the first 15 people? Would you give out high fives? Hey, we're so busy during parties, we forget to take pictures. Can you take some candid photos for us while we're here? Give out little duties to people to get and them And do people help. like that? They're like, oh my God, I just came to, for like a few minutes and now I got to be the f- official photographer? Well, <laughs> what if I take bad photographs? Well, usually what I find, yes, that's a good point. And usually what I find is what people always ask when they're one of the first person to arrive, they say, how can I help? And so I have this list of things. But if I ask somebody to do that and they don't feel comfortable, then I'm very tuned in. I say, oh my God, no problem at all. Have a seat on the sofa or stand over there. Say hey to Jeremy and just make yourself at home. I'm so happy that you came. So we're tuned into it. We're not going to force anybody to do that. And you're going to use your skills to look and see who might be comfortable to do those things. And so now my situation aside, this does seem like a good life strategy, having these cocktail parties to make friends and build connections. Like, like even for me right now, like I should probably do this more. Like how often you think someone should do a cocktail party? So you're on the extreme end of the spectrum. You've had 1500 guests on the podcast. You know, hundreds, if not thousands of people who you find interesting. Your top of funnel network of acquaintances is insane. And someone like you could literally hire someone part-time to host a two-hour event every two or three weeks, and you could cycle new people through that all the time, and you could use it to juice your network and connections if you wanted to. The average person at the other side who may just be a listener that moved to a new town, I think they should probably host once a quarter. Hmm. And... Once every three months is about a good cadence, looking to have half repeat guests, half new guests, Hmm. with the ideal size for about 18 to 20 people once they've hosted a couple of events. That's what I think would be nice. Is that what you did? When I first moved, so I just moved to um, Austin, Texas about three years ago, and I moved here, and I knew the formula on how to build a network. I hardly knew anybody, but I knew what to do. And I hosted every two or three weeks. Every two or three weeks I hosted. And it meant that I always had my next event on the calendar. So when I met anyone even remotely interesting, it was as simple as saying, hey, I'm hosting a little happy hour in three weeks. Can I send you the info? Note that I use that phrase, by the way, can I send you the info? Not do you want to come? We want to give them an easy yes, especially for people like you, James, who get a lot of invitations and a lot of asks. You just want to make it an easy yes for you to send them the information. Mm. And then there's other things we do with social proof to make it look like an interesting, fun event, which it will be. Like, what do you do for social proof? You say, like, so-and-so's, Joe Rogan's coming to this one, or? So, yes. So I make the guest list visible. Um, We collect RSVPs. You get that core group. Remember your core group idea? That's what I said at the beginning. It's five to eight of these close people. We get them to RSVP first before I even invite anyone else. So that when you go to the page, you already see that like eight people are coming. Uh, 
I lived in New York for 13 years. I was in the village on West 10th between 5th and 6th. Oh, my God. How the hell did you live on West 10th between 5th and 6th? Like, that is, since, since for past four, that is my favorite block in New York City. I'm not kidding. First off, the Marshall Chess Club on that street. Second, beautiful street. It's like just a beautiful street. It's a very quiet block right there in between NYU and Washington Square Park and Union Square, which are all very busy areas, but that's a nice, quiet, like tree-lined street. It's very, it's an very expensive pretty. street, by the way. It's an expensive street. I had a fourth or fifth floor walk up. So Marshall Chess Club, I believe, is 23 West 10th. Yeah. And I lived at 27. So I was two two doors down. So if you went to Marshall Chess Club, we may have passed. In fact, I'd sometimes send my Amazon boxes to Marshall Chess Club. Um but yeah, I lived in New York for for a long time. And one party when I was just getting started, I remember I met a woman at this yoga type event. She was really cute. She was a model. I knew I wanted to learn more about her. And I told her, I said, oh, I'm hosting a party in three weeks. Like, you should come. Um, she said, oh, yeah. So I took out my phone and I loaded up the event and I show it to her. And there's nobody that's coming. It looks like I'm just inviting her by herself over to my apartment. Uh-huh. Um and so she was like, okay, whatever. So I rushed home. I had to get all my friends to sign up on RSVP so I didn't look like a weirdo. It worked out. We ended up becoming friends. But doing that little social proof of showing other people have RSVP'd first helps those that you may have just met to know that it'll be good. The other thing for social proof that I tell everybody to do, and I'd like for you to do this at your party Sunday, is at the end of the icebreaker or the round of intros, Snap a group photo. Take a very quick group photo, and you can use that group photo. Now, you don't need to use it for social proof, but I tell everybody else. I say, look, next time you're hosting, show people your group photo. Show them that you host a good event. Get people smiling, showing them having a good time. I love it. And that's how we use that group photo for future events. Tell me more about the icebreakers because I really loved some of the suggestions. You know, like what's a great piece of media that you've consumed yes. recently and what did you like about it? Yes. Best purchase under $100. If you were to do a citywide poll, what would you want to learn? Or what's a comp- yes. I really love this one. What's a compliment someone gave you that you still think about? That's a really great one. Because it makes That's you really nice- think about yeah. yourself and like what you like and, and a time when you were happy. So that's a good one-on-one icebreaker to ask somebody when you're one-on-one. The concept of value-additive icebreakers is that everybody's answer makes the room seem a little bit smarter. So right now, where are you, uh, where are you and your wife? What city? Uh, near Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. So you're near Atlanta. For a long time, I lived up north of Atlanta near Lake Lanier. And say that I was in um, Alpharetta. And I would tell people say I was hosting a party and this was an hour in. So we've already built up rapport, people are loosened up. I would do this icebreaker for the group. I would say, hey, let's say our name, say what you do for work again, real quick. And then tell me one of your favorite Atlanta or Alpharetta life hacks. What's a secret place that you like? A walking trail, a small business you like to support? Who has the best cup of coffee? 
What's something here in Atlanta that you like and recommend? And let's share that now to the room. Oh, I like that. And I am near Alpharetta, so I might do exactly that. The reason that that works well is people are going to hear all these ideas of cool things that they want to support and like, and they're going to leave your party feeling like they met a whole bunch of new people and they got a ton of new ideas on stuff to do. The bar is so low right now for hosting a good meetup that when you do these little things, name tags, intros, group photo, you'll be seen as this amazing host. And it's what I found from teaching hundreds of people how to host their first party is that all you have to do are a few little elements of structure and it just turbocharges your hosting skills. And that's that's just what I want people to know. You can learn to be a good host. Just like you can learn to play better chess, you can learn to be a better host. It's not hard. All right, that that's very good. Uh, and then, so let me ask you, like, do you do this for a living? Like, do you throw parties for a living? I don't make very much money off of it, but I do it full time. I was lucky that I started and sold two companies in the past. What I were don't the companies? Ha- the first one was called Flight Display Systems. It made um, in-flight entertainment equipment and surveillance stuff for small planes. What, what do you mean fam- surveillance stuff? So we started making um, in-flight entertainment equipment and then the screens that would play movies and DVDs. Once those screens got certified for use in small planes, I was pretty good with like Google search engine stuff and got it to be certified and to come up for like, Um, FAA certified flat panel monitors, and they needed those in surveillance. So like the Coast Guard is doing a rescue mission at night, but they're wearing night vision goggles and they need a screen that's certified to be used in an aircraft that can work with night vision goggles. So yeah, it's a- Well, that's a weird uh, thing. How did you get into that? So that was total a family business. My dad was this mad scientist guy. I was born on an Air Force base. And when I left college, he was in the basement of our house trying to start and build this company. I thought I'd help him out for a few weeks, hire his first employees, work on his marketing. And then that turned into a couple months and a couple years. And we grew it to about 80 employees. We sold it to a PE firm in 2014. Wow. Okay, cool. And then what was the second company? Second company was, I think, maybe where we originally met through. In New York City, I did renegade museum tours at the Metropolitan Museum of Art and other major museums across the country. And what renegade tours means is that I would hire stand-up comedians and Broadway actors to be the tour guides for my company at the Met Museum. And then we would lead these non-traditional two-hour museum experiences. Uh, that's pretty cool. My, my da- one of my daughters is a, uh, a tour guide for, in New York City for donut, like, like great donut locations. Really? Yeah. That's for, dude, that I have so much respect for tour guides dealing with tourists and people that are new to New York. You really have to be incredibly socially savvy. No, it's true. And a lot of stand up comedians kind of get their start as tour guides. And stand up comedians make the best tour guides too, because they can read a room, they can read an audience, they can take people right to the level of roast. It's amazing. Yeah. So now you now you do this other stuff full time, this uh, throwing parties, and you do it yeah. for other people as well, right? Yeah, yeah, folks. I've been doing a little bit of conference work, so I got many times businesses and companies will hire me to help them with their conferences to to reimagine how does networking look at a three thousand person conference or a three hundred person conference. How does I networking? Little, how do you reimagine that? 
Well, um, I'll give you an example. I just helped out at a conference in Orlando. They had 2,700 attendees. They had eight different networking sessions that were happening. And when I audited those sessions, I realized that basically they were just sitting them down and running PowerPoint slides. And the volunteers who were running those sessions were kind of using it as like a sales funnel for them. And so we said, look, we're getting rid of slides. There's no more slides. There's no more chairs in the room. The first 30 minutes, I trained all the teams to say, look, first 30 minutes, they need to talk to as many new people as they can. Here's how we're going to do that and split them into small groups. For that conference, over half of the attendees were first-time attendees. And so at a conference like that, we wanted them to give a touch point to recognize people and make friends because it's so much easier to resell, to repeat people, blah, blah, blah. But that was one way. Um, at a conference that had 1,000 people, they said, look, at the opening night, we want you to lead the first 30 minutes of the gathering to help folks mix and mingle there at the happy hour. And so I got on the microphone, you know, like a schmuck, and I just led it and had people form small groups and have conversations, and it was amazing. So that's what I'm exploring right now. Oh, that's great. I, I have two conference, let's call them hacks, that, that help me. Um, let's say if I'm speaking at, at the conference, um, one is, and they address kind of the problems you were mentioning. One of them addresses the problems you were mentioning in the beginning, which is that everybody just sort of arrives, the presenters show up at the last minute and have slides and then leave. And so what I do is I never use slides because when you use slides, everyone's looking, they're not looking at you. They're not paying attention to you or they're, or they're multitasking, which is very hard actually for the brain to do harder than people realize it, it. People think slides help the presentation. It doesn't help. It makes you actually have to work harder in your brain. So I never, and plus it never works. The technology never works. So, or 50% of the time. So I never use slides, but that's not the hack. The hack is I will always go to the opening early morning session, like, oh, you know, 7 a.m. coffee and donuts served, you know, before the conference starts. I always go to that and shake hands with as many people as possible because then I'm the one they're rooting for later when I'm speaking. I'm and, pumping my fist because that's genius. Yeah, no, it, it works really well because nobody else is there. No other presenters are there. And then the other thing I try to do, which is a little more subtle, is if I can, I try to be the last person to speak uh, at the conference, which seems a little like maybe everyone's tired then. And that's true. Everyone's a little tired or we're looking forward to the conference to be over. But it allows me to say, I'd like to thank all the prior presenters. They did a great job. Because what that does is it makes two categories of presenters, all the prior ones and me. So you can't even remember the names anymore of the prior ones. There's just me thanking them, and then there's me. And that, I find that to be, I, when I do that, when I'm able to do that, I find when I read the, the, you know, I ask the conference holders to send me the testimonials later, I find that there's a lot more testimonials that mention me because I do that one, I think it's because I do that one technique. Because you're the last one to go, and we remember the last thing, right? It's the recency. The last thing, and also there's this, what's called choice ambiguity bias, which is that you put everybody in this other category where you, you can't even, it's like, choose your favorite movie. You can't even choose it, there's too many. And then there's me. So it removes me from the category. Like if, 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 some, if you ask what's your favorite movie, there's, and you've seen a thousand movies, there's the 999 you saw first, and then there's the last one you saw. And so I really make that distinction. James, is this too personal? How could I use this in my dating life? That's a very interesting question. 
Um, because I do have hacks for that. Obviously, looking the way I look. I mean, and I don't date anymore. I'm married, but uh, um, you know, there's one, there's one technique um, that is useful, which is that you do a lot of things on a date. So you don't just like meet for dinner and that's the date. Maybe you meet at a ping pong place and you play two games of ping pong and then you go, uh, you know, to an art gallery or you sneak into like an, an art opening where you get some drinks and and then you go to like, maybe you go to one place for drinks first and then another place for dinner. And what happens then is you feel like you've had a lot of experience with the person. And so they, they, the other person, I mean, this, this feels a little manipulative, but it really isn't. But you, you feel like you've had more of an opportunity to get to know, like the other person, the person you're, you're on the date with feels like they know you more than they really do because they've done a lot more things with you on a date than they do on a normal date. If that makes sense. It's, yeah. Yeah. It feels right. It feels like, Similar to my parties, we want a lot of activities. We want a lot of people there. We want it to seem deeper and richer. So I another, like that. Another one is, this works really well, is you you kind of make a challenge. For instance, I'll tell someone, this is a challenge I do for myself, that I'll go into a Starbucks sometimes and just to exercise my ability to be rejected and not be afraid, I'll get my coffee and I'll ask for a 10% discount. And they'll say, well, why do you want a 10% discount? And I, I won't give any reason. I'll say, no reason. I, can I just have a 10% discount? And they really, they don't know what to do. They have to ask the manager. And, you know, it's a Starbucks, it's a chain. They're going to say no. They have rules. You know, and I'll, I'll do this at every place, not just a Starbucks, a deli, a, a restaurant, a, a, a hardware store. <laughs> like, I'll do this all the time. But I'll explain this to the person on the date. Inevitably, they say, oh, that sounds fascinating. And I say, why don't you try it? Like, I'll try it first. And we'll see what happens. And then you try it. And they'll be like, oh no, I'm really afraid to do it. No, no, just I'll do it first. And so they'll see me do it and I'll probably get rejected. Now, women don't get rejected. <laughs> so when a woman asks for a 10% discount at a deli, they're much more likely to get, sure, yeah, 10% off your coffee. And, and so they feel very excited that they did this challenge and they did it. And they're going to be able to tell, it's a story they're going to be able to tell their friends later about your date. And so it gives them fond memories right away. Plus they, you experienced this almost life-threatening experience, you know, asking, you know, that it feels very scary the first couple of times I did this. So it's going to feel very scary to, for them. It's like a public speaking almost. And, and so, so they've been through this like life-threatening experience with you. And that kind of adds to the, the, the kind of excitement of the date. So those are two kind of like date hacks. In terms of this choice ambiguity bias, it's hard to say, well, you know, good thing I'm the last of all the thousands of people you dated. <laughs> like then that makes them seem like a slut. So I'm not sure you want to want to do that. Um, <laughs> but I'll have to think about that a little more, how you can use that specifically, you know, or maybe you can do that referring to yourself. Like you could say, you know, oh, I'm tired of, just the concept of dates. And so then, you know, so then you put like everybody else you've previously dated in this category of a date. And now they feel like they have to sort of demonstrate that they're not this generic, ambiguous date. So that might be a way to do it. I liked what you said about the challenge and this idea of the low stakes challenge that 
you're both invested in. And it's kind of like me and my date against everybody else. Yeah. And that that idea is really resonating with me. And it, I've never done that before. And I think it it just sounds fun to me. And probably things that feel fun are good, and I need to do more of that. That that re- that one really really works. That's like my favorite one because it's not manipulative at all in any way. I mean, I I'm thinking like back to 2007, 2008. I used to do stuff like, oh, this person's interested in Kabbalah, and then I would like quickly go to the book. I would know nothing about that, and I would quickly go to the bookstore, read everything, and then oh yeah, I'm an expert. <laughs> and you know that stuff's really bad. Don't do that. But uh, uh, because then they like you, and you don't even really like them because they're you're not interested in this. And <sighs> but yeah, it's a good question. Like, what are kind of like dating hacks related? To this? I like these icebreakers though that you do because they don't feel false. These icebreakers, they don't feel like oh, I'm just trying to have a conversation. I wish I had had these. Like, I lived in um, Key Biscayne, Florida, for a while, about a, a year or so ago. And that's a very social town. It's about 70% Latino. And it's just a nonstop party, particularly literally from Wednesday night to Monday morning is a nonstop party there. And I'm not made for that. And I, I would just, I would really research icebreakers because I was like, I just didn't know what to talk about with everybody. They all knew each other all their lives. And then we moved in and like, I, I like them and I want, and I think they wanted to like me, but I just didn't know what to talk about. And I wish I had had more of these icebreakers at hand. You just did a pod that just released where it was about how to make somebody fall in love with you, where you went through a series of escalating questions. You remember that? You know, I honestly never remember my podcast. (laughs) Fair, fair, fair. Um, I'm going to have to listen. Jay, do you remember that one? Yeah, the one with Robin. Oh, so it's my wife. (laughs) That's right. Some study kind of came out with these questions and you can find them online somewhere. But yeah, it's basically how to make somebody fall in love with you. And the idea is that you get vulnerable and intimate, not immediately, not right off the bat, but you warm up to it. And at a party, I wonder if there's an equivalent. For example, something that I will ask people, and I don't know if this is good or not. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. But I'll ask people, how was your day? Now, that is a very silly question, but it's very personable and it's kind of grounding for me. Many times at parties, I have frenetic energy. It's stressful. And if I can just ground myself and like, hey, how was your day? It takes people out of this superficial, what do you do for work? How do you know James? Whatever. And it's kind of, gra- I don't know if you like it or hate it. Yeah, no, I I like that. But sometimes I feel like with how was your day, there's like generic answers. Like everyone says, great, how's yours? Mm. You know, they don't Mm. really answer it. Like yesterday, someone asked me, how was your day? And I decided I'm just going to say, you know, it wasn't really that good. (laughs) So, you know, but it's hard to do that. Like you have to remember to do that and to be honest, like because it's such a generic question. Something I want to note as we talk about these icebreakers is to be aware of the burden that it places on the person that you ask. And when we're interacting with new people, I would suggest almost that you go first. So as you, Ah. James, lead this icebreaker for your party, I want to make sure on Sunday that you and your wife go first. 
And yeah. if I were to come up, I don't want to be the guy that's just drilling people with questions. Yeah. I need to be vulnerable and go first. And so if I were going to ask, what's your favorite purchase, then I would lead it and say like, oh, hey, can I ask you, like, I'm going to ask you this, but I'll tell you mine first. But like, what was your favorite purchase for like $100 or less? It could be an object or an experience. For me, I love this Zoji Rushi Japanese uh, water heater. And I love tea and I drink a lot of tea and it gives me boiling water that's ready immediately. I bought it and I think I use it like every single day. Wow, do does you that really have a, work? How fast does it boil water? It takes time to boil water and then it keeps the boiled water like in a vacuum seal that only requires a little bit of electricity. So I could get the hot water right now immediately because it's in this vacuum thing. I just kind of push a button and boiling water. They have them all over Japan and China, but Ugh. nobody uses them here. Ugh. I like that. I'm going to have to purchase that. I just, but that's well, an example of how I would go first to lead that so I don't put the social burden on you. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that completely. And you know, in terms of the escalating questions and the vulnerability, you're right. Vulnerability is a really important bonding mechanism because that's how you learn. That's how the tr people in the tribe learn to trust other people that they're going to fight the bad guys with. It, but if you're too vulnerable too fast, that's like a little kind of crazy. It's like if you if the first thing you say to someone is, "Ugh, I'm still fighting for custody with my kids with my husband who used to abuse me or wife who used to abuse, you know, that's a problem. It's so, too much, but, too soon. But if you say, or if you, or if the first thing you do is complain about your job, because that's like, I, no one needs to know that right away. Um, but if you, like, like when Jay complains about his job at my parties, it's really a drag. So, because he's my <laughs> podcast producer. So, but uh, uh, if you're vulnerable, like, you know, like one thing about living, I love living here, but one thing is I, I, my kids are a little older now and they live in New York and I, and I miss them. I wish I could see them a little bit more. That's like a, a sweet vulnerability. And, and that, that's like, it's kind of figuring out how to divide your vulnerabilities up uh, is a good way to, to do it. Yeah, what you don't want to do is trauma dump. Oh my yeah. gosh, I caught up with a friend recently and he just trauma dumped on me and I was like, wow, I need a minute for that. Holy smokes. yeah. yeah. Yeah, and 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 that's a big red flag in dating. If some vulnerability is good, but trauma dumping, I like that phrase. Trauma dumping is really bad. Like that's a bad red flag because if they're doing that on the first date, what are they going to do when you're married? Like that's all you're going to hear. So at your party on Sunday, I want to give you one more piece of advice that you can coach your wife on, because you may be ready to go to bed, and she may have a line of ten people that want to talk to her. Yeah who are saying, oh my God, I haven't seen you all night. You've been hosting. Let's sit down and catch up. What I say in those moments to people is I make sure that they feel seen. And so I would say something like, Jenny, I'm so glad that you came. I would love to catch up, but James wants to wrap up. Can I call you tomorrow? May I will I tell her this yeah. and she won't pay attention to me. She's, I'm an extreme introvert. She's okay. an extreme extrovert. So yeah. she's going to talk to all 10 of those people all Fair. night long. <laughs> and, Fair. I'll, I, and, and I don't feel comfortable going to bed while the party's still going on. So this is a source of attention. So okay. I will tell her this and we'll see how she reacts. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you the best of luck. That's not easy. Well, Nick, this, is, this has been so great. Like I knew I wanted to have you on. And um, the book is The Two-Hour Cocktail Party, How to Build 
a big relationships with small gatherings. You know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on too was I've had out of the past 10 years of doing this podcast, I've had on quite a few guests who have built their careers by starting off throwing parties. So like Lewis House, you know who Lewis House is? Of course, legend. Yeah, yeah. so he has a, a great podcast, The School of Greatness. He's written a bunch of best-selling books. Uh, he literally started his career by inviting his LinkedIn connections to networking events that he would host. And he built, and by doing that, he built up a big list of people. And then eventually he would write a book, you know, how to network using LinkedIn and that sold out. And then he would start charging people for the parties. And that's how he built up his career from, from starting to throw parties. And I've had more than one guest like that where, you know, they weren't necessarily the most extroverted people, but they, they built a career out of throwing parties. So this is like an important, a more important than people think life skill. And it's harder than people think, which is why, I mean, you wrote a book about it because there's enough gaps between people's knowledge and reality that a book was needed. So look, this is a skill that folks can learn. And if you want to meet interesting people, you have to do interesting things. I found that the easiest, fastest way to become interesting is to host a well-run meetup. And the bar is so low today to host a good gathering. There are a few tactical, practical things that I learned, like name tags, icebreakers, cocktails only, kick them out, sending reminder messages, collecting RSVPs, a simple group photo. These are not rocket science. I haven't invented a nuclear reactor. They're just common sense, practical advice to host a good gathering. And everyone wants to know someone who brings people together, just like Lewis Howes found, just like other guests. People want to know you when you bring people together. Yeah. No, I, that's right. Like, uh, there's another guy, John Levy. I'm sure you've heard of him. Of He's course. like a famous party Legendary. holder. Who else, Jay? I feel like there's there's been a bunch of others, but I can't remember the names. John Levy is the one that I, I can think of. He's the king. Yeah. He's done such a really good job for this. There's new people that are doing it. I mean, there's a lot of stories of people that have done this. What I would like to do, I would like to volunteer next year to come to Atlanta and to be a host for you and your wife. Yeah, that'd be a, great. Done. For a weekday, two-hour thing. But your wife has to promise that I can kick everybody out at the end. All right. I'll see if she could do that. But uh, uh, that done. Deal. Cause Let's we would, do it. Because I even had this conversation with her. I would like to do this more often as a networking thing. Because like one time... We organized even a podcast around it where some people were coming into town. So we combined that with some people here in town and we got all got together and kind of had a good, like it was, who was it? It was Jason Pfeiffer, who's the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur. We had uh, Merrick First, who's a professor of entrepreneurship at Georgia Tech. Cal Fussman, who was an editor-at-large at Esquire and a, a really great interviewer uh, and a couple other people. And it was just a really good, I, I wanted to do more of those types of events. We can do them easily when you host a cocktail party, when you host a happy hour. This is really something that as you think about the funnel of relationships, the top of the funnel is those acquaintances. They're people yeah. that maybe you only see once every couple of years. And I found that in the same time it takes to watch a movie on Netflix, two hours, you can host an event to reconnect with 20 to 30 of those people. Or here's another idea that I'd really like to do, and I, I would love to do it with you. 
I know a ton of people in Austin that I would really like to reconnect with. Dude, so I should yes. just like plant myself in Austin for a week dude, and dude. throw a party. Wait, wait, wait. Say less. I am in a thousand percent. I am in, in, in. The first step we need to do is to pick your date and get the dates that you're going to come. And then let's host like two or three nights. And I think we should do it. Yeah, I think I think it's a good idea because so like everybody who's been on this podcast is either lives in Austin or just moved to Austin. And I keep saying, oh, I'm gonna visit, I'll visit you in Austin. And I have never done it. But maybe if I kind of focus it around like, hey, I'm having a a little get together, would you come? And you know, some people will, some people won't. You know, there's like a hierarchy of my podcast guests. And- They'll all come. They'll all come. And if you make it easy for them to say yes to pop in. We'll host it on two nights. We'll do it both on a Tuesday and a Wednesday. You How do you do it on fl- two nights? Like, why? What? What's the purpose of that? The idea is that for your ultra busy, super successful friends, you give them the option. And that's people do that. Like they say, "Look, I'm having events on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, let me know which day is good for you." The average listener could not do that. You have a wide enough network, and you are famous enough that you can easily fill up a whole week. So I don't worry about you having two nights. Now, something that I've done is I will tier my nights. So as an example, sometimes I host meetups for million plus creators, folks that have podcasts, Instagram, whatever, for a million or more followers. Mm -hmm. And I'll host them on one night. And then the other night is more of just like an open kind of happy hour for other friends. So we could do something like that for you as well. But I think that you should host on a Tuesday and Wednesday. You can come into Austin for two nights, three days. Easy flight in and out of Atlanta, no problem. Yeah, yeah. And get an air, a nice Airbnb, you know, and have fun. All right, done, deal. Well, Nick, Nick Gray, author of The Two-Hour Cocktail Party, How to Build Big Relationships with Small Gatherings. Such valuable information that I'm actually going to put to use within the next 48 hours. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. More parties in 2024. Excellent. I, I agree. Mm-hmm. 